ArenaCraft Podcast Mages, you catch us at an auspicious time. It is again the time of year where we go through an exhaustive list of cards from the new set and talk about them exhaustively. So, as is our usual custom, we are going to break up these long episodes into several chunks and release them throughout the week to both ease the load on the one episode that you're listening to and also give you something to look forward to. So with that in mind, enjoy the first part in the series and we'll be releasing more throughout the week. Hello and welcome to the ArenaCraft podcast, a show dedicated exclusively to Magic the Gathering Arena. My name is Arjuna, I'm one of your hosts. Joining us today is the other host. His name is Coverticus Maximus Gobluzimus. His quest to seek the holy domination of control sorcery. His favorite color is blue. It is Covert Go Blue. How are you doing today, CGB? Only the favorite color part was accurate. It's not my name. How did you get this wrong? You've been doing this forever and you forgot my name? Yeah, I may have added a few erroneous syllables to your that name. Was, uh, that was an introduction. <laughs> it happened. Good job. Good work. Different uh, parts of Kovac Go Blue's identity were revealed. I love how you are Ar- Arjuna and my name is like 15 syllables and 47 words, a paragraph of its own. Well, see, you you have a full name, right? Covert, go blue, first, middle, last. Whereas I'm like Prince, you know, I'm like Cher. I just have one name. It's, it's <laughs> like a tribe called Quest. You say the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> anyway, welcome to the show today. We have a lot to talk about, namely in the form of new cards. That's right. New cards. Uh, January 7th happened, which was a big reveal stream, and ever since then, the tranche of new cards has just been spilling over. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're actually not going to do our lightning round segment this week. Sorry, question askers, we will return to that very soon, so fear not. But knowing us, we just have a lot to talk about, and we don't want to keep you waiting any longer. So, with that, we are returning to the Kaldheim spoilers. And man, they have sure—they've sure given us a lot to talk about today, CGB. I fully agree. This set has a lot of cards that I don't feel like I understand at all, <laughs> and I, in a good way. In a good way. I yeah. don't know what it's used for. I don't know where it goes. And hopefully, when they reveal more cards from this set or future sets, they become players, and we have to figure them out. And I like that. That's fun. Yeah, there's a lot going on. They're, they're definitely exploring a lot of design space. And I do think some of the stuff that we're seeing might be pretty busted. Ooh. Time will tell, but we will see. Okay. So, okay, first things first, before we get into any of the more specific cards that have been spoiled, I want to talk about snow. Because I don't think I'm the only person who thinks that the inclusion of snow in this set is kind of controversial. And I don't think I'm the only person who looks at these snow cards coming out with kind of a, with an air of skepticism. 
Interesting, because I didn't think it was controversial that the uh, northern lands home to the Vikings had snow. Uh, is this? A f- are are you arguing that this is a future world that we're going to, where global warming has eliminated snow, or are you arguing that they? It's all a conspiracy, and actual Vikings never had snow. Um, I I think that the flavor is neither here nor there, <laughs> with <laughs> with my opinion. Even though C- CGB master of deflection is uh, is trying to draw me out and uh, and point me down the wrong trail. However, I will not be tricked. To be honest, you very well uh, kind of baited the hook. I want to know what what do you have to say about snow? What's controversial here? It was all fine until they printed snow basics. This is where things start to get interesting. Anyone who hasn't played in a format with Snow Basics should know that it changes things. So we ran into this problem in some of the older formats that play, uh, I think it's Arkham's Astrolabe, which is a snow, it's kind of an important build around that relies on snow permanence, snow mana. And so the format that, I think it's Legacy, I wanna say, it has been kind of ruined for playing regular basics because uh if you play regular basics people will immediately know that you're not playing arkham's astrolabe and you're immediately giving up valuable information and so when they print non-basic snow stuff it's kind of cool right because you're not like if you're building a deck just a general deck in the format and you don't have snow synergies that's fine you just don't use the snow but if you're in a snow format that has snow basics, then you're you're immediately having to ask yourself this question of do I run snow lands in my deck? Currently, we haven't also seen any way yet to punish people from running snow lands. And so it's just one of those things that makes me a little bit concerned about kind of, I feel like it has the potential to raise the general obnoxiousness level of this set slightly. I'm not saying it's a big deal, but it's definitely something. So what I'm hearing is I want to play Island, but now it's because of some potential interaction and information leak, I have to play Snow-Colored Island, and that's a, a major concern? Is that about, is that kind of it? Or close? Not all of it, but close? I'm not going to say it's a major concern, but I do think it's, yeah, I do think it's, it's, it's kind it's, of a boomer. Oh, okay, 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 I got it. You're a boomer. <laughs> I can't play the things I wanted to play because they made something better and it annoys me slightly. (laughs) Get off my lawn, kids, with your snow land. Arjuna, do you want to play a snow land? (laughs) You know what, man? I spent money on those nice basic lands and I can't even, like, equip them by default and Boomer. now you're telling me i need to play stupid freaking snow basics instead yes i'm pissed this is a major boomer problem. argument <laughs> boomer position <laughs> <laughs> anyway i i think it's going to play out in an interesting way and i don't necessarily think all arena players are going to like it so i do agree but if i can make you laugh about it a little <laughs> maybe we lighten the blow <laughs> love it oh i just got older that conversation just made me physically older Okay, so now I guess let's just move on to these cards that we have not yet spoken about. Segway opportunity was, and also something that's known to make us older, is Arjuna and CGB set reviews. (laughs) Yeah, right? (laughs) So we're definitely going to continue our goal of CGB wanting us to read a handful of good cards and Arjuna wanting to read 
a much larger assortment of cards that may or may not be good. But, um, you know, we are going to, in the interest of keeping you young and spry, we are going to try to move through these as quickly as possible. Yeah, the first card that I'm looking at here is a card that has been spoiled for a while, but we just kind of, it was like one card spoiled on a day, so we didn't talk about it last time. And that card, which I'll read for you because I am a green mage, is Toski Bearer of Secrets. Three and a green for a 1-1 legendary creature squirrel. So, uh... Vanilla test checks out here. This is a rare card, and it can't be counted. So right there, Kovaka Blue hates that. Uh, it also has indest- he- He's going to be so worried about this card. It also has indestructible. Tosky Bearer of Secrets attacks each combat if able. So you're not going to be able to just info- infinite block with your indestructible thing. And finally, whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. I've seen more discussion around this card than I expected to. My initial read on it, and I think a lot of initial spikes are just going to look at this card and be like, nah, nope. However, um, one thing I do want to say is that if you can drop Tosky and then attack with some already existing creatures that you control, then eh, maybe we're talking. If you have flyers, if you have multiple flyers when you drop Tosky, maybe like now we're really talking. But mm, that's like a best case scenario, and the rest of the scenarios don't look that great to me. What do you think, CGB? What if your creatures are just bigger and better than the opponent's? What if they don't fly, but they're larger? So we're talking like a lovestruck beast? Yeah, that's one. Maybe some giants of various okay, varieties. Okay, I see, I see where you're going. I see where you're going. Yep. All right. So uh, Star City Games like actually did some uh, videos where they were playing the new cards uh, in in matchups between Corey Baumeister and Ross Miriam uh, with uh, proxies. And... Uh, Ross just put this card in Gruel Adventures, took out Questing Beast, put in this card, drew about 50 cards, <laughs> okay. attacking attacking poor Jeskai Yorian as it tried <laughs> to blink its uh, Boros Saga, mm. something of the Scalds. Uh, anyway, <laughs> it was actually kind of absurd. And I think this card isn't great, but I think it's a it has a niche and it has a role that will come up here and there because when it hits... It there's going to be that moment of I cast Toski and opponent either rage scoops or puts head in hands and groans and at, at a competitive level, I think it's a balanced card. Um, the can't be countered, of course, is annoying, but it can still be exiled. And indestructible is very annoying for decks that use red and black removal, but white can deal with it pretty well, which is often paired with blue, at least in my world. So. Uh, I think it's a good card. Not a great card, but I think it's a very good card. And I think it's a really fun uh, brawl and maybe commander. Commander. Definitely a cool commander. I I think this card could actually be very strong in all of the commander formats. So, yeah. Um, Okay, here's a question. Do you ever put this and the Great Henge in the same deck? Yes. Okay, that seems odd to me. Uh, just because they have, I would say, fairly negative synergy. They're both vying to get dropped at the same spot on the curve, and they're both essentially... I mean, not not quite the same thing, but they're both kind of aiming to do the same thing. So I'm, I, I'm just... Mm, I feel a little skeptical there. I agree, but say that you have them both in your hand, or the potential to have them both in your hand, and your opponent 
has a counter spell. Would you rather have the Great Henge, or would you rather have the Bearer of Secrets? That's true. Toski could be pretty good against rogues. Mm-hmm. So the current play pattern is to kill the creature so they can't play the Henge, right? Unless they have a counter spell. In which case, if they have a counter spell, you walk right through it. Punish them. Punish them. That's true. And then there are other things, like, for example, if Toski were to be wearing, say, a Mall of the Skyclaves, <laughs> then... A 3-3 three, three indestructible flyer that draws a card when it connects. Ah, that's that's kind of gas, Heck, right? Give him an Ember, an ember cleave, cleave, draw two. Not bad. Not not just him draw two, any creature draw two. Yep, that's true. So so there are definitely scenarios in which Toski is great. Whether it's worth your four mana, I think remains to be seen. I, I would not call this a slam dunk, but it might just end up being like a surprise power play in the format. And I do expect to see it in a lot of sideboards as well. If you're a green creature deck and one of these is not in your sideboard, I will be disappointed. Yep, I agree. And I, I think you're right about like, I think you play one maximum two of these in your deck and, and you just leave it there. Okay, sweet. Um, I'll let you read this next card, CGB. Invasion of the Giants is a red and a blue, so I'm immediately conflicted. I love it and hate it at the same time. It is, chapter one, scry two. Chapter two, draw a card, and then you may reveal a giant card from your hand. When you do, Invasion of the Giants deals two damage to target, opponent, or planeswalker. And number three, the next giant spell you cast this turn costs two less to cast. Interesting. Isn't it, though? There's kind of double... There's kind of the two minds, right? I'm wondering who's going to be who here. Do you want to play the Do you want to play the role of the mage who looks at this and says, "What if you don't have a giant?" Or do you want to play the role of the mage who says, "I've got a giant when I play this." I think you only play this if you're really trying to be the mage who who is casting the giant on turn four. I think that's I think that's really the mage you want to be if you're running this card. So okay, here's here's my read on this card. I don't think this card shows up unless your giants deck is like really good and unless you have a lot of incentives to run your giants you don't just put this in your deck because you're running bone crusher and a couple of other things right i think ideally you want to be running like some six cost giant that you're hoping to slam on turn four and just like really really wreck people I will say, okay, so this card's not as bad as it looks initially. It replaces itself for one thing, and it gives you a, a scry two. So you could read this card as like a bad omen of the sea. Now, that card is a lot better than this card, of course, because you can play it at flash speed. But I do, I think if you're, if you're getting like all three parts of the buffalo, and I think especially, I don't think the damage in the second chapter is going to matter that much, but I think scry two, draw a card, make my really good giant cheaper. I think that's all totally worth it if you're really, really in for the giant. So that, that's kind of my read on it. Okay. I disagree with what you said about having to be in for some large giant because and, and I'll try to spell it out. So the fail state, the sad mage, is you got an omen of the sea. It was a little harder to cast, and it was sorcery speed. Okay. That's not fun, but it's not terrible. People play omen of the sea and just are pretty happy to cast it most of the time. It makes blue mages feel like blue mages. If you have any giant in the top, say, if you play this on two, and you scry two, and you draw... That's one, two, three, like the top 10, 11 cards of your library, I think. If you have any giant in the top 11 cards of your library, this is a scry two, 
deal two, draw a card, and make two mana for two mana. It's the best thing you can do right now for two mana, I believe. I, I mean, name another card that does that. So in my in my world, like even if we cast Bone Crusher Giant for one mana, like like we're a blue red deck. We have stuff to do with mana. It's early in the game, and we scryed two, and we drew a card. We have stuff to do with mana. It it sets up a really efficient turn. So I don't think you need many giants. I I don't think you're happy with four, but I think eight. I think if you have eight, you're. I good. think one of the issues with that though is like the the curve gets weird. So, for example, if you have a Bone Crusher Giant, if if your deck is really aiming to run Bone Crusher Giant, it's really nice to to have it up on turn two, right? So, playing Invasion of the Giants as your two drop is a little bit weird, right? It, and so it, so maybe you you Bone Crush on two and then you Invasion on three, but then you have one mana floating, kind of a thing. I I think it not being instant really hurts it here, right? Because if your deck runs Omen of the Sea and Bone Crusher, you can decide which one you want to cast on turn two. And then furthermore, you know, yeah, like let's say you're casting your Bone Crusher for cheap on turn four or, or maybe turn five or whatever. Uh, it, it depends on what else you want to be doing with your mana on that turn. So I don't disagree with you at all, CGB. I think it is one of those cards where like you add up all of the benefits and it comes out very well. But I think it really does need to match the plan for how you're planning to sequence your deck, you know? I think that it's flexible enough that you don't have to. I think that if you're on the draw and you need to remove something with Bone Crusher, you do it. But I don't agree that holding up Bone Crusher is what you want to do on turn two because it's not a guarantee the opponent will give you a target. And it's also not that important that you go face with Bone Crusher Giant a lot of times on turn two. In fact, that's usually not that great of a play. Plus, you get two damage from this little saga here that you got. So I think that if you're on the draw and you're under pressure, you stomp the threat and then you play invasion of the giants next turn or later and i think that if you're on the play you just play invasion of the giants and you have one of the best two mana plays available in the format if you make this happen with a giant and i think decks have been built around a lot worse sequencing i agree that if you have the giant on the turn this card was well worth the price of admission the only other thing i'm going to say about this is it's a fairly terrible top deck because you don't get the card immediately. So that's one thing that makes it incredibly worse than Omen of the Sea. So if if you're in a top decking situation, I'm really not a fan of this card. Another thing about this card in a top decking situation that's awkward is the giants that we know and love are adventure. And it doesn't give you that two damage bonus yes. if your giant's in the adventure zone. Yep, that's... Another excellent point. So anyway, I think CGB is a little higher on it than I am. I think we both agree it is a card with some fairly powerful implications and a really cool design. Just give me give me one boss giant. <laughs> give me a boss giant I want to play four of anyway, and this card is 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 really yep. good. Oh, another thing as well, uh, it doesn't synergize very well with Yorian, so that's that's kind of a bummer. Does yes, it does. Okay, all right. Yes, you it just does. have to, you can't stop. You, just have, <laughs> you can't stop a Yorian. You just have to play it later. Oh, I I like it less the more I talk about it. All right, let's move on. You know, CGB, I want you to read this card because I I think you've earned it. Nico Aris is a blue white planeswalker that costs a Sphinx's Revelation, <laughs> aka X White Blue Blue. I, it is. It's an iconic casting cost for a blue-white mage, so I love that about it already. 
Um, and Legendary Planeswalker Nico, Mythic Rare, three loyalty. When Nico enters the battlefield, create X shard tokens. And shards are enchantments with two. Sacrifice this enchantment, scry one, then draw a card. a back. <laughs> Better? Better, agreed. But we'll, we'll get to it. Plus one, up to one target creature you control can't be blocked this turn. Whenever that creature deals damage this turn, return it to its owner's hand. Minus one, Nico Aris deals two damage to target tapped creature for each card you've drawn this turn. And minus one, create... A shard token. Cause gas. Gas. You give it. You. You're just on I'm, it. I this am is gas. on this card, dude. All right. Talk. I'm gonna have to see this card suck a lot before I decide not to play it. Then, then tell me what's your sequencing like? How are you uh, rolling with this one? All right. This card is so cool. First of all, being able to just spend whatever amount of extra mana you want on it and essentially get clues. If if y'all haven't played with clues, they were the artifact version of this card, and they just drew a card. They didn't scry one, but otherwise they were fairly the same. It was a surprisingly powerful mechanic, and I think it really, it edged, like, for example, it made a 1-2 for 1, one of the best cards in the format, um, which was Thraben Inspector, just by being able to have a clue come in with it. So don't underestimate the power of that. Of course, those were different times. So being able to put extra mana into making yourself some clues like in the mid game, I think is really rad. The next thing is that this thing can drop and immediately dome a creature for two. Now, admittedly, it has to be a tapped creature. So that's that's kind of tricky, but that's a powerful ability. And of course, if you've drawn any more cards, then it can just do a lot of damage. And then the ability to just keep making shard tokens, I think, is pretty rad. So, I don't know. I just I think this card is sweet, and I think it could actually be very good. You didn't talk about the plus one. Ah, uh, the plus one's not a highlight of the card, in my opinion. <laughs> really? You're not. You're not in. Okay. So, I, well, I, let it's me. Not, it's not that I can't come up with scenarios where it would be cool. I just. Mm, for me, that's not the draw to the card. That's not what's making me super excited about it. Okay. I suppose buying back your Skyclave Apparition, even if mm-hmm. it gives your opponent a card, is is pretty gas. So there are definitely some cool scenarios. But but anyway, yeah, I, I've spoken about this card. I'm sure you have some very intelligent things to say. So So what are you thinking about it? I love that it scales into the mid and late game by giving you a mana dump. It means that you can play this Planeswalker as your card advantage source. One of the only things that gets too clunky in blue-white control is that you have your Planeswalkers and you have your card draw, and control often needs both. Uh, Teferi kind of blurred the lines, but then if your Teferi died and you were top decking, it got ugly really quick. But at the same time, the worst draws I had with blue-white control was a Sphinx's revelation and a Teferi kind of thing, because sequencing is hard and they don't defend anything. You know, you want to defend your Teferi or you want to resolve your Sphinx's Rev. It's it's one of the only things that can get you in a clunky spot. This has the potential to be both, but it's not as good as either. You still have to pay mana for the enchantments. I think that having to put two mana in to get a scry one and draw a card, like even an improved clue is pretty freaking cool. Like they, they, they gave us clues and made it better. So I'm excited to see the shard support in the set. I hope it's not just this card. 
I think that they found a way to keep it fun because it has this enchantments entering the battlefield potential. There wasn't much fun about Teferi if you're not a blue-white mage. It draws cards, it removes things, its emblem slowly wins the game. Everything about it was miserable if you're not into blue and white. But somebody is going to want to pair this with a Nessian Wanderer or a Setessan Champion and get a bunch of triggers. The Pegasus you know? Generator, that's pretty The nice. Archon of Sun's Grace. Yeah. yeah. Bingo. Yeah, exactly. There is a, I think, one-mana blue creature that whenever an enchantment enters the battlefield, it mills the opponent for two. Oh, snap. That <laughs> so, could add like, up pretty quick. Like, why not? You know, you play that and you play crab and you have one drop blue-white mill. <laughs> so, I mean, those are the kind of fun things you can do with the card. I like it and I'm scared I'm too high on it because it is... It is a bit clunky, niche, and can't answer a number of things. Vigilance is not a joke in the format. Speaker of the Heavens with a Sky Mall is going to eat this for lunch. Questing Beast is still here. But I, 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 think I'm, I think I'm more likely to be too high on it, but I really like it. I feel like this is definitely more playable than Jace Mirror Mage. Yes, and I just, I think that that's that first minus one ability, the two damage thing. This is going to do a surprisingly high amount of damage to a surprising number of creatures in the format. So, you know, like if you do something like you attack with your love struck beast or something in the mid game and then, and then your blue white opponent drops this and uh, there's just, there are a number of ways to get this turned on the turn that you drop this, if you have some extra mana going on. So I just think that this thing's going to be doming a surprising amount of creatures. And I think that there are, there are certain turns and board states where this could be essentially a game over for like a mono red deck. This could easily just take out two or three creatures from your opponent's mono red deck and make life very awkward for them. Of course it is, you know, in formats with Bone Crusher, it's definitely not just like a an obvious kind of a slam dunk. So yeah, all of that combined, I just think this card has a, a high ceiling. I think the floor is doable. I'm way into it. Yeah, me too, man. Awesome. All right, now this next Planeswalker, oh boy. All right, this is a, this is a combination, a flip Planeswalker. So we've got those coming back. It's been a while. What was it? Was it Origins that had the creatures that had a Planeswalker on the backside? It was Magic Origins. I'm yeah. going to go get uh, just a drink and a bathroom break and maybe walk around the block while you read this. <laughs> I know, man. No, but uh, uh, carry on. This card has a lot of text on it. All right. Valky, God of Lies, one and a black, two one creature at Mythic. Legendary creature, and it's a god. When Valky enters the battlefield, each opponent reveals their hand. For each opponent, exile a creature card they revealed this way until Valky leaves the battlefield. And for X, you can choose a creature card exile with Valky. With converted mana cost X, Valky becomes a copy of that card. Do you, how do you want to do this? Do you want me to like read the whole card and then we can talk about the whole card? Or do you want to take it side by side? I mean, the... the I, I try to put myself in the shoes of the listener. It's like, oh, that card sounds cool. We can talk about it for a while and then be like, and there's more. Okay, let's let's do it that way. All right, so okay. the, front, the front side of Valky, huh, um, I don't know. This is like a, it's like a narrow kite sail freebooter is how I think about the front side. Like it comes down, it nabs a creature from your opponent's hand. It nabs only a creature. And then 
you keep it until they kill Valky. So, I mean, it's it's kind of not that gas in a format with Bone Crusher Giant. I guess if you nab your opponent's Bone Crusher Giant, then you feel pretty clever. They have to spend some other spell to remove it. It's hard for me to see... It's not that you can't come up with great scenarios for Valky, but it kind of asks a number of things. I think one of the cool... Okay, here's one of the cool aspects of Valky, right? If you get enough time to use the X and actually turn Valky into the thing that you stole, then you might turn it into a creature which is much harder to kill than Valky. And in that case, you keep that card. You know, if they're not able to remove it after that, you essentially keep the card. So that's probably the best case scenario. Just a further note is that you won't get the ETB when you make it. So if you if you steal your opponent's Skyclave Apparition, you don't actually get the Apparition trigger. Anyway, those are some of my thoughts about the front side. What are you thinking? Well, first of all, I want to stress, because it's not completely obvious, when you turn Valky into a copy of the card that you exiled, it loses its current abilities. So that's why if the opponent ah. killed it, if the opponent killed Valky after it became a copy, they wouldn't get the creature that was exiled back. That's actually good. I didn't I didn't know, I didn't think about that, but that's a really good point. So you're, you're yeah. heavily incentivized to activate it. Exactly. Uh, and that's pretty cool. And what I was going to say is, are we sure that this is a worse kite sale freebooter? Because isn't hitting creatures better right now? Adventure cards, uh, battlefield presence meaning so much. There aren't many, there aren't that many decks where playing Valky is a uh, kind of a downside, except for the ones. Like, here's the thing. If your opponent's playing creatures and you have Valky early in the game, you want to play Valky, right? Because you need battlefield presence and you need to disrupt them. You don't want to die. But if you're playing against a deck that doesn't run creatures, just don't cast Valky and they're yeah, not you pressuring hang on you. To it. Yeah. Yeah. So you hang on to it for the other side that we're going to get to, which is the seven mana side. I would think that this card was much worse if it was freebooter, non creature, because you would want to play it early and you would want to play it late. Uh, against both kinds of decks but this way if you size up what your opponent is doing you know exactly what to do hold it or wait yeah that's a good point yeah you can also i mean in some matchups like if you're playing in a non-creature matchup you can just drop it on two to pressure your opponent as well if you're if you're feeling aggressive uh, i mean there might be a world for that and actually we'll get into it the if you play the front side of this and the backside, they're two different names. So what you have here is a legendary card that doesn't legend rule itself. Yep. Which is just a cool design on, on all of these DFCs, frankly. I think that's really rad. Okay, so the backside. CGB, why don't you read the backside here? <laughs> By the way, uh, this card might just get an award for more text than Questing Beast. I think it <laughs> does. I, I, I think we did it. This uh. is Tybalt the Cosmic Imposter. Five mana, red, black. Seven mana, Rakdos, Planeswalker. Can you believe it? Damn. Tybalt went from a two mana Planeswalker to a seven. How? A boy's Uh, grown up. Indeed. A legendary Planeswalker comes in with five loyalty. As Tybalt enters the battlefield, you get an emblem. You get an emblem. You just have and keep an emblem. Off the top. That says, yep, you may play cards exiled with Tybalt, Cosmic Imposter. And you may spend mana as though it were mana of any color to cast those spells. Plus two. 
exile the top card of each player's library. And you and, and I'm gonna add this to these. And you may and cast you may them cast because them you have an emblem for, for the, the rest, rest of the game. Of the game. Yes. Minus three. Exile target artifact or creature. And, and you, you may, may cast, cast it. <laughs> for the rest, the rest of, the game. of the game. Yep. Minus eight. Exile all cards from all graveyards. Make three red mana. And you, and may, you cast may cast them. them. Right. So this is what for the Yog- rest of the Yogmoth's will. Is that what the card was? I believe so. Yep. Uh, wow. I mean, quite the powerful card, eh? Very, very powerful. Uh, keep in mind, ultimates after two turns on the battlefield mm-hmm. uh, and sticks around. Keep in mind, it, plus two basically draws two cards, assuming a one-on-one game. Commander fans, you'll get even more excited. I mean, minus three removes an artifact or creature such as a Great Henge, which is a huge problem for Rakdos decks, or just make up a creature, any creature, and now you get to cast it for the rest of the game. Whatever happens to Tybalt. I mean, basically a minus three and tutor for that card and put it into your virtual hand. Like, is this not... I mean, this is seven mana, but is it not worth it? The more I read the card and thought about it, the more I realized how powerful it really is. Yes. And so I think the main question here... Okay, so seven mana Planeswalkers are in this tough spot because they really do have to be worth the seven mana, and they really do have to have a pretty game-breaking effect. And one of the things that Tybalt doesn't quite have is that Ugin factor, right? So one of the nice things about Ugin is that you drop it, and it just radically affects the board. And it Ugin basically says, I'm the baddest thing on the board now, unless you're playing specifically colorless stuff. And unfortunately, Tybalt might not have as big of an impact on the turn that you drop them as you want, right? So that, that's, the, that's the main drawback I see to this card, is if your opponent has any kind of a wide board going on, if you're under pressure, if you're really needing your 7-mana play to, to affect the game, then Tybalt might not have that kind of effect the turn it comes down. That's, that's the... the biggest downside i see to this card apart from it also just getting counted because i i think that if tybalt sticks i think it's probably one of the best things that you can be doing yeah you need to manage the board do you see though how all these things like kind of play into the other side of the card though Mm -hmm. into valky god of lies Mm -hmm. so like the biggest problem with a seven mana card is it's is it seven mana which means that you have to spend at least seven turns with a card in your hand. If you draw it in your opener, that does nothing. Tybalt doesn't have that problem. And playing Valky, God of Lies, gives you... Well, for one thing, it helps you fight for the board and keep from falling too far behind. Assuming more things in your deck also help you do this. Assuming more things in your deck do anything at all, you can kind of keep playing at parity because you aren't stuck with a card in your hand that does nothing. You know what I mean? But it also, uh, Valky makes the opponent reveal their hand. So if you if you play four Tybalts, normally if you play four seven mana Planeswalkers and draw two of them, you are, like, it, it's not good. But if you draw two Tybalts, you play a Valky and you see the hand. You see if the coast is clear. If it's not, you pressure, you, you maneuver, you do what you can. You try to make Tybalt matter. But you can always play another Valky if your first one dies and you know that there's a counter spell that's going to ruin your seven mana play. 
And then on the other hand, uh, if you have Valky on the board who checked and made sure the coast was clear, at just seven mana, you've got a Tibble and a Valky because they don't legend rule each other. You can run four and it's okay. Yeah. I mean, very, very good points. I mean, if you want to run the Planeswalker side of the card and have that be a finisher for your deck, then I'm thinking that you're you're pretty want to be pretty controlling. I'm thinking you yeah. want to be doing as much as you can to be playing this into an empty board. Okay, here's what I'm kind of struggling with. Is like, do you ever want to play this in like a Raksak deck? Do you ever want to play this in like a Jundi sacrifice kind of a deck? It's interesting, right? I think the only time I would be super priced into doing that is if my opponent had some really powerful, like, th- like for example, if my opponent's Skyclave Apparitioning and relying on that as a way to like take out my ovens, or if they're relying on like a, a creature to shut down the deck, then this can be a great way to on turn two kind of pick that out of the opponent's hand and keep them off of whatever hate they're running. But other than that, I, do, I just like, I, I have a hard time imagining this being a particularly good card in a creature deck. What do you think? I got you. Uh, so what you were talking about with a Raksak deck, it doesn't make a lot of sense because those are synergy decks and this card doesn't play to those particular synergies. Yeah. It might be a neat sideboard as like a you know alternate win con for when the opponent is prepared for your deck or something like that because it is kind of a self-contained go-over-the-top win con. So I, I like it for sideboard, maybe. But no, it doesn't just slot into a deck like that where the synergies have little to do with Tybalt. The the what I posit for this type of deck is you know the big red like Iron Craig Fee into Ugin mm, deck yeah the first time we saw that it was a black red deck and the only black card in it was Extinction Event and there were some Croxes in the sideboard so we're getting the Rakdos Pathway like picture that black red like kind of early removal and Iron Craig Fee into Ugin deck but it also has. Tibble, the Cosmic Imposter, as another thing that it can hit in that way. Um, obviously, seven red doesn't cast Tibble normally, but you can still play it on turn five with an Iron Craig feat, the way that they played Ugin. Um, and on the other hand, you can play the front side. Like that kind of deck, I think, is like just perfect. And it was already pretty competitive. I've run way too many of these Iron Craig feet, Solemn Simulacrum, Ugin piles, way more than I should. And they do need something else to do when they don't draw Ugin or when Ugin isn't particularly good. There are plenty of matchups where Ugin come down at lightning bolts and it gets ECD'd. And I think Tibble is way better in those matchups. So yeah, uh, I think this deck, I, I think this card will find a home. Does that home sell you better? Does that feel more like, oh yeah, this is a thing? Oh, I mean, if if the deck it's good in is viable, then like this card is an absolute house. I really think, like, I think if you untap with Tybalt, like, your chances of winning the game are just phenomenally high. How do you feel about Mardu or Grixis Yorian? <laughs> oh, here we go. You, you can blink the Valky. You can take more, you can exile more, st- I mean, they get it back, uh, but then you copy it, but then you blink it. We got our you boy know? going. <laughs> and then you got the Tibble endgame. The Mardu, that, that deck lacked endgame. It, it, it could get value, but it struggled with endgame. Now you got it. Oh my gosh, the, the wheels are turning. Um, the, the only other thing I want to say is that Planeswalkers with a creature on the front side mean that you can summon up the creature or anything that lets you get a creature back from the graveyard, all that kind of nonsense can actually let you get your 
planeswalker into your hand and then cast as a planeswalker if you want to. So that's just another cool thing to remember. There, there are these effects like Gar like Garrick's Harbinger, right? Hits the opponent, you get to look at the top seven, that kind of a thing. Maybe not a great combo with this in particular, but just any effect that lets you do that kind of thing gives you a greater chance of actually being able to get one of these into your hand. So remember that, that's pretty cool. Alrighty. Uh, I, I, I mean, remember how we said that uh, Kaya, when we reviewed Kaya the last time we talked about these cards, we said it was a lot worse to return the creature to the hand instead of the battlefield? Yeah. This is an exception. That's because true. Because that means you can cast it That's as Tybalt if you want to. There are a lot of effects in this set that return creatures to the hand. So keep an eye yeah. out for that. The other thing is that there's like, it's pretty clear that they're pushing God Tribal. <laughs> no and so no. there might who knows whether it'll be viable but but there might be additional cards in the set that make just playing any god better and so if that's the case then tybalt is a really excellent thing to be trying to do all right well that's cards very very exciting so let's hope that that finds a home in the format next up we have sigrid god favored one white white for a 2-2 legendary creature human warrior at rare this has flash. It also has first strike and protection from god creatures. So there's that god theme again. When Sigrid, god favored, enters the battlefield, exile up to one target attacking or blocking creature until Sigrid leaves the battlefield. So that clause is reminiscent of, there's like a famous creature that did that, right? I don't remember what it was called, but anyway. Banishing priest? Maybe. Maybe that's the one. So these kind of effects tend to be pretty good and limited. I don't know how relevant that um, exiling and attacking creature clause is in constructed a lot of the time. Or blocking. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, I, I don't know, man. I'm not okay, okay. feeling this card. Take throw me it, through it. Throw it to me. Throw yep. it to me. Yep. All right. It's turn three. The mono red player casts Annex. Harden in the Forge, and they have a Robber of the Rich that just that attacked. My turn, I play a second white source. I have two white and a blue. I say, go. Red Mage untaps, plays land number four, and turns things sideways, as they are known to do. Thinking to themselves, now I Embercleave and win. I don't even have to care about this game anymore. They start reading Reddit. <laughs> I say Sigrid God favored. Exile your annex, block your robber of the rich, and kill it. Nice turn. Yeah, I mean I guess you still have to deal with annex and the next turn, right? I do. Where'd the annex go? It's under my Sigrid God favored, and my first strike killed their robber of the rich. Yeah. I mean I wiped their board. That's for three pretty mana. good. I mean, Bone Crusher makes this kind of embarrassing, right? I mean, it depends. They can definitely learn to play around this and change their play patterns, but you can too. So, uh, okay, let's do it another way. I play, like, two insignificant creatures on turns one and two. Like, I'm playing Mono White, for example. I play Speaker of the Heavens. I play Luminarch Aspired. I put a counter on my Speaker of the Heavens. Turn three, my opponent plays a Lovestruck Beast. They have like a Great Henge or an Ember Cleave in their hand. They say go. I untap. I put a counter on my Speaker of the Heavens. I attack with both my creatures. They can't block. Mm. Mm -hmm. If they block, they lose their beast. Here's the thing. It doesn't matter if I have Sigrid or not. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, all right. You know what I mean? Like, like anybody who's aware of this card, the 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 existence of this card, the fact that it, I think it's really good. So I think it get played. But the existence of this card makes things so much harder for every non-white deck to interact in combat. Like, so hard. I mean, yeah, if you know or suspect that your opponent's running it, it's definitely a challenge. I do think that if Bonecrusher Giant were not a card in the format, I'd be a lot higher on this. I think that's that's the card that really makes me worry about trying to play cards like this. Is Skyclave Apparition still a card? Yeah, but the th- okay, here's the thing about Skyclave Apparition, though, is that you like you get the effect and you keep the effect, right? I steal a thing, that thing is gone. Not so with Sigrid. So here's the thing with it. They can play, like you, it, it's the chess game. They can play around you or you can play around them, but doing both is bad uh, probably for them. And that's what I mean. It's like they... How how does Red play Embercleave with this card on the board? They have to also have two mana for Bonecrusher Giant, or they have to have one mana for Shock. Red is not known for having a ton of resources. This applies to Gruul as well, if you think that Red is too small of a part of the metagame. And so, like, how do you Embercleave around this card? If if you just don't play your Embercleave, then they just flash this in and like exile the card anyway and you bone crush it and their creature comes back but it was removed from combat and they spent two mana and like they have to try again next turn you know it i guess they can respond so it doesn't get removed from combat because it is the old clause it's not the skyclave clause so yeah it's it's an interesting fight you can also just flash this in on end step anyway it's not the greatest part of the card but it's an option and it's especially good if you have anything else to do. Like, they play around this the whole turn, and you play, I don't know, White Omen, or anything to progress your battlefield, or something yeah. to draw two cards. Yeah. This card is really good. I, I'm, I'm all over this card. The biggest problem is that it's legendary. I think that yeah. means it's like a two or a three of, because it doesn't work well with itself. The, the decks, I think, that are going to have the biggest nightmare against this card are like like Mono Green Food, for example. Imagine you swing in with your Troll King and your opponent's just like, yoink. And then if you don't immediately have a Wolf or like some other way, you know, because those decks, they run some removal, but not that much. And if they don't immediately have a way to deal with it, then like that's a pretty, like that's a big loss for you. It it just makes everything about attacking so much harder. And by the way, it exiles tokens. That's true. They don't get that back. Yep, yep. that's it pretty exiles, nice. Yeah, like um, an example is Stone Coil Serpent, but cards that are X plus one plus one counters, it exiles those uh, and come back dead. I feel like it's going to be hard to fit this into your deck. That's kind of what I feel like. I think it'll be easy. Okay. Well, that, this is fun. This This gives us something to look out for. Mm-hmm. And place our bets on and dagger each other about later. <laughs> All right. Okay, you read the next one. Call the Forge Master. Call the Forge Master is a red and a white for a 2-2 legendary creature that is a dwarf warrior. It's uncommon. And whenever another non-token creature you control dies, if it was enchanted or equipped, return it to its owner's hand. Creature tokens you control that are enchanted or equipped get plus one, plus one one so this is it's kind of in the same vein of like halvar god of battle and all this other stuff it's it's doing a lot of the same things i suppose you play this with the uh 
Nahiri Planeswalker. I don't think that card's playable. No. I'm not sure that this card is particularly playable either. I feel like we need to see something else. Yep. I will say, though, they're just continuing to push this equipment's theme pretty hard. So maybe we'll eventually reach a critical mass. But I agree. I'm not immediately excited to build around this card. This next card, however, I am rather excited about as a mono green mage. Cards like this are very, very appealing to me. So, Old Growth Troll, three green mana, rare, 4-4 creature troll warrior with trample. When Old Growth Troll dies, if it was a creature, return it to the battlefield. It's an aura enchantment with enchant forest you control, and enchanted forest has tap, add two green. It also has... One tap, sacrifice this land, create a tapped 4-4 green troll warrior creature token with trample. So, man, I feel like mono green aggro mages, like the mono green decks of yesteryear, I think would have definitely been interested in a card like this. It's basically a sticky threat. It allows you to, in the mid to late game, like let's say post wrath, for example, you can keep the beats coming. You can make a token and keep swinging. So I think this card is definitely like a consideration if we have more mono green aggro stompy decks coming forward in the future. What do you think? How do you feel about this as a ramp spell that blocks? <laughs> a ramp because spell that blocks? Here, here, here's what's up. You can yeah. play a card like Witch's Oven, or you can just do the old-fashioned block with this if the opponent swings with their Lovestruck Beast, and then you enchant a land, and it ramps you the next turn, and boom, you know, Castle Garenbrig, Troll King. Yeah. Kolgla. Did it. Yep, that's pretty sweet. One of the, Yeah, one of the cool things about cards like these is that, yeah, it gives you mana if you need, and it gives you bodies if you need. And that's like surprisingly strong i think especially if you're maybe this thing dies and your next biggest creature is a three three and you still want to cast your embercleave next turn i mean sorry your uh your great henge next turn Mm -hmm. um it's the kind of card that can just kind of help to build that bridge for you anyway so sounds like a great use of the card to me man how do you feel if your opponent shatters the sky but you have two mana open how, how good does that feel? It feels amazing, card, dude. It feels it amazing. It comes back. Yeah. You sacrifice it, and you have a 4-4 on their end step, and you untap and attack them again. That's what I'm saying, man. Like, like control <gasps> oh, man. mages who are trying to keep you down are going to have a hard time. Okay, so this is terrible in the Skyclave Apparition matchup, but apart from or, or, uh, Elspeth Conquer's death, those are obviously not what you want to see when you're playing this card. But most other answers... They kind of have to feel bad about using them on the troll, I think. So, yeah, I don't know, man. I could see this card being a problem. I could see this just being a big, fat, freaking capital P problem for for decks trying not to die everywhere. <laughs> it's. I think the only kind of bad thing is that you could also have a three mana five five in this spot. It's true. And it's the only thing that's a problem is Lovestruck Beast. Yep, yep. I will say that the trample is surprisingly relevant. I think one of the issues with mono green stompy decks of yore was that the Lovestruck Beast does not have Trample, and there were certain board states in which that was a pretty big setback. So I do like the Trample. If there's definitely if there's any way to buff this, or like, I don't know, you're probably not going to be putting an Embercleave on this thing, but... I, they'll put an Embercleave on anything. <laughs> I suppose don't you worry. Will. 
Oh man, Gruel players just at me on Twitter when you start putting this in your deck. I want to see it go down. <laughs> All right, um, this next card has definitely drawn a lot of a lot of discussion. So read for us, Masked Vandal. This is one in a green for one three shapeshifter changeling, and when it enters the battlefield, you may exile a creature card from your graveyard. If you do, exile target artifact or enchantment an opponent controls. So this is a very efficient, uh, what is it, Sage of something, Rex Sage? A, a two-mana Rex Sage with more toughness, assuming you have a creature in your graveyard. Yeah. And it has tribal applications by being a changeling. Yeah. There's a lot to like about this card. I could see it showing up in any number of places. It might This, this card might end up being somewhat of a cross-format all-star. It's possible. How, okay, so here's the real question, is how big of a drawback is that exiling a creature card thing? Because I think people underestimate, I think people generally think like, oh, I always have a creature in the graveyard, until they actually start to play with this card, and then they realize how often they don't. Uh, this card's definitely a lot worse against, you know, if you're trying to take out your opponent's small ball early artifact or enchantment plays are probably going to be disappointed it's you know probably going to be better against things like embercleave or the great hand which typically there's been some opportunity for combat already so that's that's kind of my thought on it i okay go ahead oh, the only other thing i'm going to say about it is that the efficiency of it is not as big of a draw as you might imagine with this card because you're likely to be playing it in the mid to late game anyway so that's one of the things that i think makes it worse than a rex age but a changeling rex age is very interesting yeah do you see the tribal payoff here there's gotta be like that's that's what makes ch that yeah changeling does mean you probably want some kind of a tribal yeah interaction if you can get it yeah, I, I'm, I mean, I'm not immediately seeing. It could be like, uh, you know, if you're running elves, right? For example, there's a lot of elves in this set. Hey, it's a giant. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> well, I'm just thinking, this is what I'm thinking is like, why? Okay, it's a cheap changeling. So that's a thing. If you can play this on curve in a deck, like we, we have like these angels decks or yeah, these giants decks or whatever that have plenty of payoffs later in the curve. So I think you should be paying attention to any cheap changeling that's in the set because I think that that puts it up in value a lot. And the reason I mention elves is that a lot of these elves decks have these patterns of like play a bunch of cheap elves, play some lords, buff them up, get a critical mass going and whatever. And that might be a good application for a card like this where sometimes you do just want to go as wide as you can and have as many bodies on the board as you can and that gives you something else to do with the mass vandal if you're not you know if you're not rex saging with it. it it's still hard though because i mean this has to be a sideboard card it's hard for me to imagine it not being a sideboard card yeah that situation you described yes i want to go as wide as possible but no i don't want any of my creatures to be a one three for two <laughs> exactly and i i I struggle with where this will live because a lot of the decks that you want to kill an artifact or enchantment from, uh, aside from Gruul and the Great Henge, which will definitely matter, but like picture Doom Foretold and all of their artifacts and enchantments. Look how much exile they have. They keep that graveyard spinning.
spick and span with glass casket, skyclave apparition, Elspeth's nightmare, exiles the graveyard. It Especially if they yeah. want to, you know, if they're expecting this, they can play around it for sure. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm not convinced I need to play with it. I also need to see where a tribe just has this huge benefit from having a two mana on tribe card because it's a pretty bad body for standard. Yeah, I'll give you that. I, I'm definitely not like a huge buyer on it. I think for standard, it's this seems, I don't know, could see play, but... It's not an immediate slam dunk to me, for sure. It's not like a Skyclave Apparition kind of a slam dunk, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not even necessarily a very good card against a deck like Gruul, um, which is interesting. Okay, Elvish Warmaster, one and a green, 2-2 creature elf warrior at rare. Whenever one or more elves, sorry, whenever one or more other elves enters the battlefield under your control, create a 1-1 grief green elf warrior creature token. This ability triggers only once each turn. Then it also has an ability 5 green green. Elves you control get plus 2 plus 2 and gain death touch until end of turn. So this is one of your classic like you play it early, it helps you to go wide and then in the late game or if you're using other elves to generate mana you can have like a big turn and hopefully overrun your opponent. Pretty typical Mm -hmm. elves play pattern here. So what do you think, CGB? Playable? Playable for sure, but it's complete context. Because when you play this card, you're committing to, I want to play elves for the next two or three turns to make it worth it. So they better be really freaking good elves. We, we saw this problem with uh, Worthy Knight, where there just weren't that many good knights. And we saw the opposite problem for a period of time in Standard with Hero of Precinct 1 when the multicolor cards were among the best things you could do. So Hero of Precinct 1 was a very good card. And it's just con- it's going to be contextual. We need a lot better elves than we have, and they have to be in this set. Yeah, that's true. The only other thing I want to say about this is that they are pretty good in multiples. So... If you play one on turn two and then you play one on turn three, you're actually going to get an elf out of the one that you dropped as well. So that's kind of cool. I think this card is interesting, could be a player, does not seem like a slam dunk, and is definitely not a card that makes me... Like, okay, if you compare this to Magda, the Brazen Outlaw, that's a card that like makes me want to build the deck, right? Like, yeah. If, that, if we have the deck for that, it's going to be extremely good. This is kind of more like... Other cards made me want to play the deck, and so I filled them in with this card. Yes. It's it's good filler, but I think it is filler. Uh, all right, CGB, interesting card for you to read here, Binding of the Old Gods. Binding of the Old Gods is a saga. It's two and a black and a green. Chapter one is destroy target non-land permanent and opponent controls. Chapter two, search your library for a forest card. Not a basic forest card, a forest card and put it onto the battlefield tapped then shuffle your library chapter three creatures you control gain death touch until end of turn golgari yorian mage over here <laughs> sultai yorian yeah we call that sultai or we call that abzan <laughs> yep um i mean so without that this seems like a pretty slow awkward clunker removal spell but as soon as you do add yorian to your deck and you can turn three, turn four, turn three with an accelerant, 
but probably turn four, destroy target non-land permanent, and then at the beginning of the next turn, you ramp, and you cast Yorian, and you destroy another permanent, and the beginning of the next turn, you ramp again. I That's... Kind of sounds like what Yorian wants to be doing, right? It really does. It really does. And a lot better than a solemn simulacrum, in my opinion. Yeah, that's that's what I wanted to ask, right? Isn't this card just better than Solemn in a lot of cases? If there's anything that you want to kill, yes. If if you're in a Yorian versus Yorian matchup, maybe not. Mm -hmm. But in most scenarios, yes. And I want to say again, that's a forest card that you're fetching. You can fetch the Sultai Triome. You can fetch a Snowland. Or you can fetch a Gingerbread Cabin if you're insane. That's a good point. And it does put it on the battlefield for you. So you, you get that ramp, which is pretty nice. Ramps really hard. Like this plus Yorian ramps to assuming hitting land drops five, six, seven, eight on turn six. Yes. Yeah, That's good, Ugin. Good for Ugin mages everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think this card is, you know, it has to go in the right shell, but I think this card has powerful implications. So. And I think that there are a number of things in this set pointing to some pretty powerful late games. So that's just, these are things that I'm taking note of. Um, cards like Kaya, Ozov, Usurper, and the the Tybalt Planeswalker, stuff like that, that just feel mm-hmm. like once you do get up to the, the big heavy hit of mana in this format, you're going to have a lot to do with it. And the Tybalt kind of brings around Jund like a mention of Jund. And I want to say that chapter three probably looks like a throwaway chapter to you. Does that sound about right? It it does. It looks like the weakest for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So what we need is we need something like a Mayhem Devil to give Death Touch to for a turn, right? Yep. That's very, very true. So be on the lookout for that. Right now, Fireblade Charger isn't exactly what I have in mind, but maybe there's something devilish. Do we ever want to curve this into Toski? Who? <laughs> the the squirrel lord, dude. <laughs> Give just, them all death touch. Just get our creatures through. <laughs> I mean, it is an offensive death touch because yeah. it doesn't last until your next turn. Exactly. It's until end of turn, I guess. Yeah. So interesting card, but um, I would not be surprised to see this in standard at all. Likewise. And that concludes part one of the exhaustive set review for the week. Keep an eye out and an ear out as we'll be releasing the next part of this episode soon.